know if I've told you lately, but I so appreciate the first service being here at the first service, making more room in the next two services. Thank you. Uh, we're looking about, an, about a, a year, probably next August, as we'll move into our other building. You know, things always go a little slower than you want. Uh, so, but thank you so much for being here. A couple of things. One is uh, the Wednesday night, uh, well, the Wednesday, Thursday prayer conference for pastors, the Wednesday night prayer service with Jim Sembla. Uh, could hardly have gone better. Just God showed up in a great way, worked in lives. I know people were touched. Uh, Wednesday night was particularly a special time as we had a packed house and hundreds and hundreds watching online. So, yay God for that. Uh, along the lines of prayer, we've got a 40-day prayer challenge that I talked about last Sunday. It's coming up. It begins next Sunday, September 1st. These cards describe it. But basically, for 40 days, we're going to especially press in to prayer because uh, when God wants to do a great work, He first sets His people to pray. And we're all going to benefit because as we're praying, God's going to work in our lives. And we're going to see uh, things that we don't normally see. So uh, on the back, we outline a half a dozen or so things, including, Lord God, what should fasting look like for me, a time daily with the Lord. Uh, I'm asking you that if you're in town on Wednesday nights to uh, join us for our prayer service because God uses united prayer. Read Mark Batterson's book, or if not that one, for Jim Simbla's book on prayer. So all of that's right there. Join with us. Uh, this is what's going to happen, church. There are going to be folks all over Woods Edge to say, I had no idea that this kind of uh, fasting and prayer challenge uh, meant so much. So don't want to miss out. Okay. The book of Acts is the only book in the New Testament giving the history of the early church. And this book in the New Testament is actually volume two of Luke's two-volume work, Luke-Acts. He wrote his gospel of Luke about the life of Jesus, and then he writes his uh, history of the early church about the life of the early church. Luke was a physician, medical doctor. He had a superb reputation as a historian. He was Paul's disciples, disciple, and he traveled around the empire with Paul. And with this two-volume work, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did, than John did, than anybody else did. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone. Both of these books are addressed to a man by the name of Theophilus. We don't know anything else about him other than these two places, but he apparently was a government official, an important government official. We see this at the start of Luke where he refers to Theophilus, inasmuch as many has, uh, have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some, pa some, some, past, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So most excellent Theophilus, using that kind of an honorific title, suggests he was probably an important government official. And then in Acts 1, 1 and 2, he again tells us, this is for Theophilus, note he de deletes the honorific title, some suggesting that because of his Christian faith, maybe he had gotten fired from his job or even uh, something else. All right, Acts 1, 1 and 2, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so both books written to Theophilus. 
The story of the early church in the book of Acts is one of the most riveting, electrifying stories that we could ever read. And it is a true story. And what God did through ordinary believers, ordinary believers like you and me, in the early days of the church is thrilling. And if, that's, if this story will not move us, nothing will. And many people like me consider it, if not your favorite book of the Bible, certainly one of the top three or four. Last week we saw the purpose of the book of Acts. The purpose of Acts is to trace the movement of the gospel throughout the known world. The age of the Spirit has dawned, and the prayer-infused, Spirit-empowered church explodes from a small Jewish group in Jerusalem to an international, largely Gentile movement that had reached Rome, the capital of the empire. And it was still expanding, and it is still expanding today. If you were here last week, you know there are three big themes woven throughout, like three threads throughout the book, and that is the spread of the gospel and the power of the Spirit by people who are permeated with prayer, who are devoted to prayer. So the very first passage that we look at today, first paragraph, really focuses more on the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at the question, what does it mean for you and me to be empowered by the Spirit? What does that look like? in our everyday lives. Would you please stand with me as I read the first five verses of the book of Acts. Verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. Okay, Luke wrote it to Theophilus. The Holy Spirit, at the same time, is writing it to you and you and you and every believer who's ever lived. Theophilus combines two Greek words, theo. We see it in Theodore and other words with theo, which basically translates the Greek word God and phileo, which means to love or to befriend. So put them together. Theophilus means you're loved by God. You're a friend of God. And it's interesting. Luke writes it to the friend of God, Theophilus. God sees every single one of us that way. You are the friend of God. You are loved by God. And that's who you are. You are Theophilus. So in verse 1, Luke refers back to his his gospel, volume 1, when he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, implying in this book he is dealing with all that Jesus continues to do and teach. The risen Christ continues his work from heaven by the Holy Spirit through his people through you and me. If you are a believer, the work of Jesus is continuing through you, through us in the New Testament day. For that reason, we could say 
This book does not really conclude. Really, it's the only book that just seems to stop. And that's because it's still going on. There was no conclusion. You and I live in Acts 29. Jesus is still doing his work through his church, through his people. That means you and I are Christ's servants. We're his ministers. We're his hands and feet. We're his priests. We're his workers. Remember, at the end of every service, the benediction from Revelation 1, 5, and 6 refers to us as a kingdom of priests. We're priests. In the Old Testament, certain people, the Levites, were priests. But in the New Testament, it's the priesthood of all believers. We're all God's workers, hands and feet. And the only question is not our ability, but our availability. Because God uses ordinary believers. And so we say with Isaiah, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. This means we all need to find our place, our calling, our battle station to advance the kingdom because he does his work through us. And you long to do this. You long to find your purpose. Every single one of us does. And you may be hearing a voice in your head from time to time. Oh, you don't have anything to offer. Oh, you failed too much. Oh, you're not educated. Oh, you don't know enough. Let me tell you, that is the voice of Satan. Because you're a priest before the living God. You are an agent, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Find your battle station. Whether or not it is formal or informal, inside the church, outside the church, there ought to be something you could point to and say, yep, that's my calling. That's my ministry. Now, last week, we put a lot of information in the foyer. We got it out there again this week. If we can help you find your battle station, please let us do so because you need it. You need it. All of us do. God wants your availability, not your ability. All righty. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, right from the outset, verse 2, which is still the first sentence, because the first sentence goes 1 and 2. The very first sentence of the book of Acts, Luke introduces the Holy Spirit. And he says, when Jesus Christ was doing his ministry, when he was giving his instructions, commands, his teaching, he did it through the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that, you know, the Trinity, is, there's mystery there. I mean, how, how could it be that uh, there's one God, three persons, that... God the Son came down to earth, took on a body, and yet when God the Son was doing his ministry, somehow he was doing it uh, in dependence upon God the Spirit, uh, there is this close, tight, interconnected relationship among the persons of the Trinity. But Jesus gave commands through the Spirit. He did his work in the power of the Spirit he did it in dependence upon the Spirit, showing you and me how to live life today. Very first sentence of the book of Acts. And all through the book of Acts, we're going to see reference after reference to the Spirit of God. Because God is showing you and me. Here's the book of the church. This is how the church lives. This is how believers live today. And it is in the power of the Spirit. So we've got to unpack that because that's just a, you know, a little bit, uh, it just feels not, not quite tangible like, References to the Father and to the Son. And we will. We will. Okay, that's in verse 2. Three, not three verses later, you see in verse 5. He again refers to the Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then a few verses after that, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And time after time. 
And in fact, there's a big watershed in chapter 2 when God pours out His Holy Spirit in a new way to begin a new era. No longer the Old Testament era of the law and of Israel, but the New Testament era of the church. This is the age of the Spirit. A new day begins in Acts 2. And so in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon believers at certain times for special uh, purposes. But in the New Testament, every believer has the Holy Spirit inside us, or we're not believers. That's what the Bible says. The moment you trust Christ, about 30 things happen to you, and one of those, the Holy Spirit, places you, or 1 Corinthians 12, 13, baptizes you into the body of Christ. He comes inside you, and He's available to be another helper, as Jesus Himself put, put it in, the John, in John's Gospel. So we are baptized with the Spirit, and all through the book of Acts, not only all through the book of Acts, but in volume 1, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm struck by how much the Holy Spirit is in volume 1. give you an example. In Luke 4, verse 1, this is what we read. Now look for the references to the Spirit. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Notice this 40-day motif. We're picking up on it with our challenge. Later in verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So there is a sense, a very clear sense. Okay, Jesus lived His life not sort of independent of the Father and the Spirit, but, but with a conscious, very real dependence upon the power of the Spirit. So He lived as a man even though he was fully God and man, in dependence on the power of the Spirit, how you and I live. We can never lose sight of the fact we've got the living God inside us, God the Spirit, and we live life that way. The spiritual life is a life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. Please don't refer to him as an it. He's just as much a he, a person, as the Father or the Son. The Holy Spirit, or God, exists as one God, only one God, but he exists eternally in three co-equal and co-eternal persons. That's the Trinity, the triune God. So, the Acts 2, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out upon all people. We've got the age of the Spirit, but right at the outset of the book, we've got it underscored. In the New Testament, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is going to not only indwell us, He will fill us, that is, sort of empower us, control us. He will empower us. He will transform us. He will lead us. He will speak to us. He will guide us. He will comfort us. He will encourage us. He will convict us. He will love us. He will pour out the Father's love to us. He is our helper in every way. And if we do not depend upon the power of the Spirit, we're going to live a very frustrated uh, Christian life. And if your Christian life is not working, this could be the key. You're not depending upon the Spirit to change you to work in your life. The Spirit. All right, verse 3, we pivot to, to focus on Jesus after the resurrection. He presented himself alive to them, the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So from his resurrection till his ascension up to the Father, 40 days. And during that period, we see here what his main teaching was. What was his main teaching? You see in the passage, it was the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. Now, when we think of the kingdom of God, uh, I, I want to continually remind us, it's, sort of, it's not like a human kingdom or an earthly kingdom because that kingdom is over a state, a nation, a territory, you know, land. God's kingdom is not over territory, it's over people. It's over people. When we pray every Sunday morning, Lord, may your kingdom come. We're praying really two things. We're, we're, first of all, we're, we're praying that, that it would come in its fullness. Jesus Christ would return to the planet. Lord, may it come. But we also want it to come in the sense of advancing over our lives, more and more of our lives surrendered, and reaching our neighbor's lives, more and more people coming to Christ. Anytime someone comes to Christ or bows the knee to Christ, the kingdom of God is advancing that much more. And when we think about Christ's kingdom, we think about it's not a kingdom of power, but of love. Not a kingdom of force. It's a kingdom, it's a part of the kingdom uh, in the spirit. And we, we pray that, Lord, may your kingdom come. Interestingly, that this is the main topic that Jesus taught while he was on earth before the resurrection. This was the main topic after the resurrection during the 40 days. This was the main topic of the early church in the book of Acts. In fact, if you'd go to the other end of the book of Acts, the exact opposite end, the last two verses of Acts 28, 30, and 31, uh, the book stops. Verse 30, he lived there. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so, beginning and ending is about the kingdom. The message of Jesus is about the rule of Jesus, the reign of Jesus. Do you all remember what we just sang? You reign over us. You, you will reign forever. You reign. You're the Lord. You're the King. You're God. And that means in our personal lives, we surrender every part of Him, or He's not our King at that point. We surrender deeply all of our lives. Because he is our king. He's King Jesus. All right, verse 4. And while staying with them, the disciples, the 40 days, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And then he refers back to John three, I mean to Luke 3.16, volume 1. He says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And if you go back to Luke 3.16, John the Baptist says this, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Remember, he's the king. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now, volume 2, Jesus says, that's about to happen. John the Baptist promised you'd be baptized with the Spirit. He said, that's about to happen not many days from now. And in fact, it will turn out to be 10 days. Now, before he leaves, he tells them, do not depart from Jerusalem. And that may sound fairly benign to you and me, but Jerusalem was not the safest place in the world for a Christ follower at this time, was it? So there were some good reasons to leave Jerusalem and head to the Galilean hills. Make yourself scarce. But Jesus said, no, you stay in Jerusalem. Why do you think that the early believers needed to stay in Jerusalem? 
Well, because that's where the temple was. That's the place of God's dwelling on earth during the Old Testament. But with the cross and the temple curtain being torn in two, the way to God is thrown wide open. We got a new day. We got a new era. No longer the day of the law, and this is the day of the Spirit. We got access to God. So the temple in the Old Testament is no longer a special temple. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything. But uh, now the temple of God, that is the place where God dwells, is you and me. We're the temple of God. The, the Spirit dwells in us, remember. Or you can say that when all of us are gathered together, that the church is the temple. It's used both ways. So that's, that needs to be in Jerusalem, the city of God. Old Testament temple was there. The New Testament temple is going to start from there, and it's now going to spread throughout the world. So don't depart from Jerusalem. You need to stay right here. Now, when Jesus says to wait in Jerusalem, that's, uh, that, that means you wait and pray. In the, in, the, in the Bible, waiting doesn't mean you're sitting there like a bump on a log, just passive. It means you're seeking the Lord. You're waiting, praying, seeking, calling out. It's an active waiting. So that, that was tantamount to saying, you know, go back to Jerusalem. There you will be waiting and praying. And, of course, that is exactly what they do. During those 10 days, they are waiting and praying upon the Lord. They devoted themselves continually to prayer. And that's what those first 120 believers do. So what do we see? If not at the outset of the book of Acts, that Jesus himself lived his life by the power of the Spirit. And that we believers will live our lives by the power of the Spirit. And throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see this continued emphasis because we're going to see these interwoven three themes. The gospel spreads, or the kingdom spreads, we could say. The kingdom spreads in the power of the Spirit by people devoted to prayer. Let me just wrap up a few things about the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm reminded of A.W. Tozier's comment in his day, which would be the 1950s. He's kind of at his peak. And he said, you know, if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the church today, 95% of the things would just go on like it was. No difference. But in the early church, if you took the Holy Spirit out, everything would change. And if that was true in, in Tozier's day, it is certainly true in our day. So I just want to summarize a few basics about the Holy Spirit. And during this study of the book of Acts, one of the things that God wants to do in you and in me, and here was Zedge, is to teach us about the Holy Spirit and what that means so that we live like Jesus lived. Three basic truths about the, that we see in today's passage. We live in the age of the Spirit. Okay, In the Old Testament, you lived in the age of, of, of Israel, or you could say in the age of the law, but not today. We're in the church age, and that's the day of the Spirit. You and I live in the age of the Spirit. In fact, you've got the Spirit of God inside you, every believer. In Acts 2, from that time on, every believer receives the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ, and the Spirit baptizes us, puts us into the body of Christ. We're part of the universal body of Christ. The Spirit indwells us permanently. We live our lives in, in His power, in dependence upon Him, surrender to Him. If the Bible continually talks about being full of the Spirit, that assumes that we are empty of self, empty of sin. 
If you are living in open sin, don't expect the Spirit to be in charge and to be, you be full of the Spirit. You're going to be missing out on the power of the Spirit, and, and um, your life is an exercise in futility. So we live in the age of the Spirit. Secondly, we see in our passage that the risen Christ, the risen Jesus, continues His work in the world through us. So the Spirit indwells us. Jesus is working through us. We're his hands and feet, his priests, his representatives. And what matters is not your ability, but your availability. Lord, where do you want me? And then thirdly and finally, let me underscore that the spiritual life is life in the Spirit. The Christian life is not trying hard to please God. It's not. And all of your life, all of my life, from the time we were two years old, we, we begin to, 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 to accumulate this mindset, this perspective that I need to work hard and earn it. And uh, that's not true in the spiritual life. Spiritual life, we receive grace. Salvation is a gift. We live our life not by trying harder, though there is effort, obviously, but, but basically we live our life by trusting the power of God. That means in our daily lives, when we've got a sin struggle here or a sin struggle there, Lord, I'm, I'm frustrated about this. We, we, we don't try harder to change. We say, Lord, I cannot change. I cannot do it. Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. You do it. It's that mentality. That's the difference between living by faith and living on your own strength. Christian life is not a bunch of rules and religious formulas and do's and don'ts. It is, the, it is life in the Spirit, the supernatural thing. So the Spirit of God, when He comes inside us, He begins to change us, transform us as we surrender. He makes us more and more like Jesus, less and less sinful, more and more like the true person that God intended us to be. He, he, he pours out the love of the Father in us. That's Romans 5, 5. It's a great thought that it's He who is showing us how much we are truly loved by God. He gives us strength and endurance to persevere in the problems and struggles. He, he sets us free from sin because the age of the Spirit is an age of freedom. Sets us free to live and to be the people He wants to be. He pours out His love and joy and peace in our hearts. He guides us. He leads us. There ought to be a strong sense in your daily life. Lord God, I'm not sure what to do about this. Would you please guide me? And that's true not only the big decisions, but the little decisions. That in all of life, we are depending, consciously depending, Lord, would you please lead me? I want to follow you. I want to follow you. For our part, that means we surrender it means that we yield control. That means we depend upon the Spirit and not ourselves. Because supernatural life requires supernatural power, and that's the power of the Spirit. And maybe as we launch this book, a good prayer to pray almost daily is, is a prayer that I have so often prayed in my life. Spirit, would you feel, Lord, would you fill me afresh with your Spirit? Fill me afresh. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your guidance. Let's stand and we will together pray that. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now is your time. And when you do that, 
one of the things that happen, besides the fact that all your sins get wiped out and you become a child of God and you're adopted into the family, but the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes inside and you're placed or baptized into the body of Christ. And we live our lives in dependence. Lord God, this morning, as your blood-bought kids, we want to say, would you please fill us afresh with your Spirit? Lord, we don't want to try to live the Christian life on our own strength because that doesn't work. But, oh God, may we be uh, so empowered by your Spirit, Lord God, that life would begin to change more and more. Lord, please bring deep healing, transformation, protection, provision, all that we need, Lord God. We look to you. We look to you. Fill us afresh in Christ's name.